This morning's reading comes from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. You can follow along on the screen, please. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much. Um, If you can have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 as we go through it. I'm sure it'll help you. But I forgot to make an announcement about the TNT uh, parenting seminar that's happening this Friday. Uh, Friday at 7.30, Rory Bell is coming from all the way from um, England um, to repeat this this, uh, seminar that we did in St. Andrews. Uh, If you want to hear more about how to raise our children um, in a godly way, uh, come come and hear from an expert um, at 7.30 in our church center. Uh, Please do mark that in your calendar. uh, we've, been, we're, we've started a new series last week, uh, Growing in Christ, Sharing Our Lives and Reaching the World. That is our vision statement. Uh, you probably didn't know it because we don't talk about it very much, but that really does drive everything that we do in Shatin Anglican Church. Um, so uh, let's pray now that God will speak um, to us and make us a church that really shares our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you are God who is alive and active in growing us, in making us a church that really does share our lives. And Lord, we pray now that you will speak to us, that you will shape and form us so that we may be the church that you intended for us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you can go to the first slide. I don't know if you know what a sinner's prayer is, but I never really liked sinner's prayers or altar calls very much. Let me explain. It's one of the greatest joys for anyone, only anyone to, sh- anyone to lead anyone to Christ. But I never really liked these because they're unintended side effects. If you don't know what a sinner's prayer is, let me give you an example of, of it here. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm a sinner, that I cannot save myself. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm, I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. In many ways, this prayer is great. It acknowledges that the person is a sinner in need of God's grace, that Jesus came to die for our sins, that there is eternal life in him. And there is, this is, no, you know, there is a good reason why people have been using prayers like this. But I wonder if you saw how individualistic this prayer is. It's all about God and me. 
Thank you for bearing my sins. I believe in you. Come into my heart. Be my savior. And it gives you the impression that Jesus came solely for you. That Jesus came to bring you into, the, uh, into heaven, to, to, to bring you eternal life. It reduces Christianity to the believer's relationship with God alone. And no wonder that a generation of Christians who began their lives praying this prayer don't know, don't know why they should go to church, why they need to keep on meeting together, why they need to belong to grow as God's people. No wonder many of us think that Christianity is about me reading my Bible, doing good things with God alone. The church historically has, a dif- has had a different initiation ceremony. It's called baptism. And think how different baptism actually is. It's done in the presence of the entire church. People do make individual confessions. They turn to Christ, as they say, and to receive his grace. But then they go on to confess our faith together. The church confesses the faith together with those who are making that confession. Those who are present in there, as other people are getting baptized, that we say to them that we will do all in our power to support the people who are getting baptized in their life in Christ. When they're signed with the cross after the baptism, the church then encourages them with these words, fight violently under the banner of Christ against sin, against the world and the devil. Minister, when it's done, pronounces that God has received them by baptism into his church, to which the church responds by saying, We welcome you into the Lord's family. We're members together of the body of Christ. We are children of the same Heavenly Father. We are inheritors together of the kingdom of God. We welcome you. I hope you see the difference. Friends, God's not on a rescue mission to populate heaven with individual worshipers. God's on a mission to create a new community, new community of God's people who know him and worship him, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. That's what God originally created. That's what was lost in the fall, and that's what we see God restoring in the Old Testament, the people of God, and that's what we are as the church. We are the people of God. We are the kingdom of God. We are the body of Christ. We are here together because this is what God is doing around the world. And this is, believe it or not, this is what we want, isn't it? This is what we want. We don't want just to be saved individuals. We don't want to live our lives just as individuals alone. We want to be people who are connected. We want to be a community. This is something that people are longing for. Just this past week, I was reading um, uh, the David Brooks of the New York Times. He quotes a student in, in, in this week's column saying, uh, a student who says this, we're more connected, uh, but we're more apart. Brooks says that she expressed hunger for social, emotional bonding. How do we create relationship, she asked. And Brooks ends that column by saying, that may be the longing that undergirds all of it. The longing to be connected, longing to belong, longing for a genuine, a genuine community and relationship. Even with one billion people using Facebook, people are longing for that connection, longing for a genuine community. How do we create that relationship? Well, the answer came 2,000 years ago on that day of Pentecost. 
It wasn't achieved or built. That community was given. It was born. When the Holy Spirit came and Peter stood up and preached and the 3,000 people became Christians, they came together, one in Christ. As they put their faith in Christ, they found that they were joined together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they devoted themselves, as we read last week, to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it was the most remarkable kind of community that we could see. We see it in verse 44 and on. Just take a look, take a look again, verse 44. All the believers were one, were together, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. See, that's why we're saved. To be part of a new kind of community. A community that God is creating by building and reconciling people to himself. This world is divided in every conceivable way by nationalities, language, and culture. That's a big one. We discriminate, even kill in the name of our nations. Even within a country, we divide ourselves based on personalities and social class, educational level, political affiliations, even hobbies. But in Acts 2, God began a new era in human history. When, that, that, when he ends such divisions, when that, such divisions are ended through Christ in the power of the Spirit, People from Parthia, Medes, Jews, uh, Judea, Pont, uh, Pontus, Egypt, Libya, Arab, uh, women, men, uh, introverts, extroverts, wealthy and poor, uh, became one family. The curse of Tower of Babel was reversed. They met constantly. They shared properties. They worshipped together. They sold their fields and homes to give to anyone they had need. They became a family. They became what we all long for, a community that is really genuine, a community that the world is longing to see. And that's our vision here in Shatin Church, growing in Jesus, sharing our lives to become that sort of community. And that's what God's doing here. You might ask, well, how is it that they were so different? How, how, how is it that they were able to do this but through, the, through Christ, by the power of the Spirit, they became one because Peter preached Christ. And the Holy Spirit convicted their hearts and brought them together. 3,000 people became brothers and sisters. You see, the same thing has, done, has, has happened to us. The people who are sitting next to you, it's whom God has brought together with you as brothers and sisters. That's why um, the worship of Christ, right? We worship Christ as we come together because that is the basis of our unity, life together. And we see it in verse 42 once again when Luke writes that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, but also to the breaking of the bread, breaking of bread and prayer. And they weren't just eating together there, right? It's, it's the breaking of the bread, of bread. It's communion. Every time they got together, they remembered what brought them together. Christ and his sacrifice. Don't we also say in every communion service, 1 Corinthians, words from 1 Corinthians 10, 17, we are one body because we all eat from one bread. 
We're one body because of Christ, because what Christ has done for us. And if this is how we're united, we have to build our life on this truth, on this truth and not on something else, even the best of our experiences. If we build our fellowship on anything other than the truth that God has brought us together, it will threaten our fellowship. Uh, Our fellowship uh, will be in danger. And this is what I mean. If you've been a Christian for a while, I'm sure you've had moments when you felt, wow, we are really one, that God is working in us, making us one. A genuine experience of Christian unity and love. I think many of us felt that that way when um, the Owens were going through their troubles, when Micah was born. And, you know, people started to just pray. People started to pray, people who knew the Owens and who didn't know them all that well. Uh, The Chinese and the Brits, um, we all prayed together. Many offered food and money and time for the Owens. And we sensed that we were indeed one in Christ, that we were a church that God is making. It was a little bit of Acts 2 in Shatin Church. And of course, we want that sort of intimate unity to continue and to go on, for that to be our experience of the church all the time. Unfortunately, it didn't last because we're sinful people. We're living in a sinful world in busy city like Hong Kong, because of our pride, because of our natural inclinations, because of our diversity in culture in our church, because of our diversity even in theology, we're not perfectly united as one. I talked to somebody last week who told me that she had given up on meeting with other Christians because she had been so hurt by others in the church. I know people who have left Shatin Church because when they see Acts 2, that's not what they see in Shatin Church, and I understand. Our sin is alive and well in you and in me. That's why this is so important. That's why we must continue to remind ourselves how we came together, what brought us together. We are one because God made us one. But God has reconciled us to himself and made us brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the basis that, uh, uh, on which we should meet together, that on that truth and that truth alone, that God has brought us together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor theologian who died, and he wrote a great book, and much of actually what I will say in the next point uh, comes from his book uh, called Life Together. And he put it so well in that book. He says, One who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. He's looking for something, some extraordinary social experience which he has not found elsewhere. He's bringing muddled and impure desires into Christian brotherhood. Just at this point, Christian brotherhood is threatened, most often at the very start of the greatest danger of all. What he's saying is, if we build on our life together, if we are constantly longing to have a church experience that is perfect, actually that in and of itself will ruin our unity that will threaten our unity, that we must build our church on the, uh, on the fact, on the truth that Christ has brought us together and on that truth alone. And if we build ourselves on that truth, if we continue to meet together because this is what God has done, we will get more and more glimpse of that reality. We will see what God is doing if we, if we keep going on that basis. We know 
how difficult that is. Difficult to be, uh, how difficult it is to be a community that God intends, intended us to be. I'm, I'm reminded of um, what Father Zosima uh, in Brothers Karamazov um, says. He says, the more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, I often make plans for service of humanity, and perhaps I might actually face crucifixion if it were suddenly necessary. Yet I'm incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One because he's, he's too long over his dinner, uh, dinner. Another because he has a cold and keeps on blowing his nose. I become hostile to the people the moment they come close to me. We often feel that we can love our brothers and sisters. We can sacrifice maybe even our lives for Christ and for his people. But let me ask, can you stand to be with uh, the people around you for two days, for a couple of days? You see, and we're commanded to be much more than spend time together. We're commanded to love one another. John 13, 34 to 34, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And by the way, this is why we want you to be, belong to our Lynx group. So that you might actually love real people. Not just in your heart, not just in your mind, not just in theory. It's easy to believe that you can love the people around you until you spend time with them, until you realize that they're real people. Real opinions, real personalities, real problems, real demands, real emotions. And that's what love requires. At the very least, being with real people, being together. And if you dislike people, more the reason why you should come and belong. Because that's how God will make you into a loving person, a patient person, a kind person. Committing to meet with each other. And loving and sharing our lives is really difficult. Um, so the scripture all over right, tells us what to do, how to live. We saw it in Philippians, how God calls us to unity by imitating. It says, imitate the humility of Christ. Remember Paul reminding us what Christ has done in your relationships with other, one another? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and even death on the cross. Pride can so easily ruin our fellowship. Who are you to speak to me in this way? Why are my talents not being recognized by other people? Why are these people so slow? Friends, have the same mindset of Christ. Christ preferring others' needs before our own and seeing how we can serve. Loving means also carrying one another's burdens and carrying each other, carry each other's uh, burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. This at the very least means being practically help, helpful to each other. Uh, when Barney was born, for four weeks, I think this was slightly unreasonable to ask of you all, for, for four weeks, people brought us food every day, every day. And that was amazing. It was an amazing expression of God's love. Uh, for us, and that's love, helping 
to carry one another's burdens. And on a side note, I want to say that in Hong Kong, especially in Hong Kong, in order to actually carry one another's burdens, we have to take, uh, make time for each other, don't we? I'm paraphrasing Bonhoeffer here. But he says, we have to let God interrupt and change our plans, change our schedule. Sharing our lives means that we will let others make a claim on our time and on our resources. And when these people come, you know, you have to let go of your schedule. You might not get, uh, get everything accomplished that you have planned if you are actually living in community with, uh, with other people, if they are actually, uh, 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 if you're letting God change your plans um, to meet uh, the needs of other people, loving one another also requires us to listen to each other. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We're so ready to offer advice, but we can only speak if we have first listened just as our love, to, uh, love of God begins with listening to his words, our love for our brothers and sisters begins with listening to them. And of course, this is at the heart of Christian community. We must then forgive each other when we do wrong. If we've, we've been forgiven a lot, we will forgive others. If we've been loved a lot, we will love others. And the flip side, I think, is true. If you don't forgive, you're saying, actually, I have not been forgiven. If you don't love, you're saying, I have not received God's love. Friends, we're loved beyond our imagination. We're forgiven every day. And finally, last week we talked a lot about speaking God's truth to each other. But let me say this. If we speak to each other without having listened, without having loved, without having forgiven, without having been helpful, without bearing with each other, without having uh, done these things, how can our words be convincing? If our words come out of not having done these things, how do we know that our words are just something that uh, come out of our impatience? Because we want you to change, rather than from our love that seeks to build and heal. Friends, as John says, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Even though all of this just seems really difficult, the possibility of us actually becoming God's intended community is there. It's real. Because we're not alone. Once again, I go back. It's God who has brought us together. God has been active in your lives, and you know that God is alive in your life, and it's God who has been active in our life, and it's the Holy Spirit that is working in this church as well. The picture in Acts 2, where no one is in need, where people are sharing everything, meeting together, praising God, and speaking God's word to each other, is one that God is creating in us and through us. And that's an exciting and important responsibility. Those Christians in Acts 2 went out speaking about Jesus and his forgiveness, uh, God's breaking down of barriers, God's new and exciting world, because actually they lived it. They showed it to the world. They showed to the world that what God's kingdom is going to be like by how they lived. And actually, that responsibility is the same responsibility for us. We're entrusted with this task of showing the world 
of what God's kingdom would be like when Jesus comes back fully today in the way that we live today. You've seen the announcements. Um, actually, uh, uh, Samsung uh, Galaxy, Galaxy S9 was released this week. Um, I actually said this to Mary, and Mary was not interested at all, but I just, I'm going with it anyway because I, I like this phone. <laughs> and many, many uh, reporters were invited to see it, to touch it, to use it, and then to report on it, right? So that um, they, could, they could tell other people. This is actually what we are. The church is Gal- Galaxy S8, the exciting future that is coming. And people should be able to see what God's kingdom is like by how we live today. Uh, we're the model community that's to come in the future. That's what God is making us as he grows us together as God's new community. And you see, the new creation will be full of Acts 2, right? Full of open homes. There we'll go in and out of each other's home and sharing our lives together, eating together, talking and praying and praising God together. We'll know the people around us. We'll know their concerns and needs. And when we know them, we will meet them by selling our possessions. There won't be anyone in, in, uh, who will go hungry, anyone who, uh, who is homeless in that kingdom. And that's not a pie in the sky. That is where Shatin Anglican Church is going because that's what God is doing in this community. That's why it's so important for us then to grow together as we go back to last week's. To grow together because children, baby Christians don't do this. It's the grown-ups, people who know the love of Christ and are shaped like Christ who will do this. You know, there are those who have lost jobs recently in Shatin Church. What if they can't find another job even if they earnestly seek it? There are those who are struggling with illness here. Sometimes actually um, uh, chronic, uh, chronic disease. What if they don't have enough money to pay for their housing in the future? Who will share their house? Who will sell their possession to meet their needs? Brothers and sisters, is this what you want? We all say we want a genuine community, loving community, a Christ-like community. Is that true? But of course, we can't grow into being this community by telling ourselves that we should do these things again and again. We're not communists here. Unlike Karl Marx, we do have God in our midst. And I'm going to quote uh, C.S. Lewis here. In mere Christianity, you cannot make men good by law. You cannot make men good by law. But without good men, you cannot have a good society. You cannot make a good church by law. But God is making good people. So through the power of his spirit, and he's creating God's good community here. That's how we're going to become that community. By looking at Christ again and again. Christ who has brought us together will continue to look at his humility, look at his love, look at his sacrifice, look at his forgiveness, look at what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. And as we come together, 
in the breaking of bread and in prayer, he will then break into our lives, into our fellowship and life together, growing in Jesus, sharing our lives. That's what God's doing here, and I hope you'll want to be part of it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God who is real. We thank you that you're God who's created the heavens and the earth, who's acted in history. You're God who sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to rise again for us. We're God who sent the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we thank you that you are alive and active in our midst. Lord, we long to be the community that you have created us to be. Help us to look to you again and again and help us to be shaped by you that the world might see the exciting future that is coming. In Jesus' name, amen.